0: Thanks, Katie. It's always fun when you do roast announcements. Announcements, <laughs> not roasts. <laughs> so now that you're warmed up, how's everybody doing today? Awesome. awesome. Good. Good to have you guys here. Uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to launch this new uh, series together called the One Month to Live Challenge. Um, now, this uh, this is a, this is a really fun series, um, a very serious series. And I don't know if anyone here has ever heard of this challenge or read the book before. But um, the book has been out for about 10 years now, and I remember doing this uh, challenge a number of years ago when I was still in California. But it's a a great series that helps refocus priorities in life, and uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to do kind of this overview over what the whole series is. And then if you join a, a small group, what will happen is on Sunday we'll talk about the next point. And then that Tuesday, you will dissect that point in your small group. So the Sunday series and the Tuesday uh, meetings all uh, mesh up and line up and go together. So I encourage everyone to sign up for a group on Tuesday. It's going to be um, a whole lot of fun, and I'm really excited for it. So what would happen if you were given that news? If, if that news came, I know it's nothing anyone ever looks forward to, but what, what would change in your life if you found out you had one month left to live? What, what would change I'm willing to bet that for just about anybody in this room, if you were told you have one month left, everything would change. The the way you talked to people, the way you looked at people, the way you walked through life, even your relationship with God, I think everything in that moment would would have to shift. I I think it could do anything but shift, right? Uh, Many of us, I think, have gone through lots of challenges in life, but I think this would be the biggest challenge of all. And and I do want to be... sensitive to people in here. I know that you may be someone who maybe you've gotten this news or you were with someone who's gotten this news and you've done this with someone for reals before. Not just a a, a Bible study book challenge, but maybe you've walked this out with somebody. I want to be sensitive to you today and and just just acknowledge that I know it's hard. I know it's really, really hard. Um, I personally have been there with someone I've loved being told that they've had just a short time to live and it's not an easy road to navigate with someone. But the series is not meant to bring up pain. This series is not meant to bring up up hurt, but rather have us see the big picture of of where God wants us to go in our very short time here on earth. Because when you you think about it, our time on earth here is the shortest amount of time we're going to spend anywhere. In, In the grand scheme of eternity, this is the shortest amount of time we'll be anywhere. So what would we do if we found out that time got even shorter? And it's going to help us recalibrate our, um, our focus on things. And so we're living life to our fullest, not just for ourselves, but our lives fully into Jesus. Does that make sense for everybody? Yes? No? Some of you are just like, I think so. Still processing. So, so let's pray. Let's dive in. And um, just welcome God in here today as we dive into this new study together. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that, um, I thank you, that you love us so much. God, I thank you that in our lives you've called us to do great, amazing, important, big things. And I pray that throughout this next five weeks we're able to to unpack and and dissect these things and all of us are able to have a a better focus on what you've called us to do, God, and and how things would change if we only had one month left to live. God, the principles that we learned here don't just last for 30 days, but they can last for our lifetime. So God, we welcome you here. We thank you for all you do. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so... As as we dive in, I want to tell you what the series is not. This series is not, uh, I have one month to live, so I'm going to spend all my money, max out my debit cards, my credit cards, I'm going to go bonkers, I'm going to go skydiving, I'm going to max everything out because I don't have to pay for this anymore, someone else has to pay this bill now, right? That's not what this is. This is not a go to Vegas and put it all on red kind of series. But... What this will do is shift our mindset from a very present mindset to an eternal mindset. Focus on what effect we have now on our family, what effect we have now on our friends and loved ones, and how that can be amplified um, in this time. And not just amplified now, but amplified after we leave. What happens after those 30 days? Now, in in our lives, how many of us at times have 100% zoned out? If you didn't raise your hand, you probably zoned out already, right? You're like, he's already talking, I'm already zoned out. (laughs) But we, we tend to zone out, especially um, if, if you're driving. Uh, you know, you can go into autopilot mode, like you're on your way to work, and you, you, just, you just know the routine, stoplight here, this, and, and you're not really paying much. You're paying attention, but you're, you're, you're in the zone, right? You're not, st- stuff around you is not making m- much of an impact. Or maybe you have kids in the, in the car, and you're so zoned in on the driving that you don't even hear that they're going, dad, 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 dad. I, I have selective hearing sometimes when I drive. I I can hear, you know, listening for sirens, listening to the radio, not listening to the kids, right? It just, it can happen. And the the pastor who wrote this book talks about uh, when he was driving, the kids were trying to get his attention, but he totally zoned out, was not paying attention to his kids. He was driving and tuned them out. And I know that as parents and as people, we can do that. We can go through day to day and get in the zone and things around us are just kind of a blur because we're not focused on them. Nothing else matters. We have zoned things out. Now, as we're driving through life though, the thing is we tend to kind of put things on cruise control sometimes. We have the routine, we know what we're supposed to do, just hit the button and let life go. But what happens when we do that is we start drifting. If we're not paying attention to what's happening around us, we're not paying attention to the decisions we make, we can start to drift and what happens is we start drifting down this road where we make decisions that lead us to regret a whole lot of things that we've done, a whole lot of things that we've said, or a whole lot of things that we haven't done. And I think as as we're driving through life, God wants us to drive down this road that ends with no regrets. But naturally, we we do this. We fall into this complacency deal. And and that's why I think it's so good to remind ourselves this question, what would we do? If you had one month to live, what would you do and not have any regrets when you did it? In 2 Corinthians, we see Paul. He's writing a letter now to the church in Corinth, and he's written to them before. In fact, um, the the first letter is this this in-your-face wake-up letter because they had been drifting. This church had been doing a lot of things that, that they are now regretting because what, what they've done is they, uh, they were complacent with their sin. And they just started going through the motions, and this motions led them to go down the wrong road in the wrong direction. And so Paul gives them a wake-up call in, this, in 1 Corinthians. He says, guys, you've got to wake up. And, and fun fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions a letter that he wrote that we don't actually have. But Paul wrote it, and he, he references it, and apparently it was a very, very harsh letter. A very, very, guys, what is your problem style letter. Because in 2 Corinthians, he talks a lot about, we'll read some here, he says, uh, I regret some of the things, but I don't regret it so much because of how you're responding. We're going to unpack, what does this mean? What does Paul mean, I don't regret this? So follow along with me in this passage, because Paul, I think, reveals a lot to us about how to rid ourselves of regrets. How do we deal with regretful decisions we've made? And I think if we're honest, we, we all have regrets from past failures. Past mistakes, past conversations. I mean, sometimes you say something and immediately wish you could just catch that and put it back in your mouth, but those words are out there. Or you've, you've typed something on social media, but before you could delete it, somebody reposted it, and it's out there. You have a regret. We're naturally pushed onto this road to regret if we're not careful, if we stop living intentionally, and Paul talks about this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, it says this. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. If, if you have your, your Bibles, whether you're using your phone or you're writing one down, underline that line in that passage where it says, leads to no regret. Leads to no regret. Paul's letting them know what is the road that leads to no regret. And sometimes we, we, we wonder, what is that road? Because that's the road we want to be on. We don't want to get to this point and say, I regret all these things. We want to get to that point and say, I have no regrets. I did it. But what is this road? Now, now, being a pastor, I've, I've been with a number of people when, when it comes time, I call it, when they receive their heavenly promotion. You, you get to that point where they're, they're gonna leave us, they're gonna join Jesus, and I've, I've been at the bedside of, of many people in this, and there's, there's some amazing deep conversations that happen in these moments, questions about life and, and love, and it's, it's something that I, that I cherish. I can't say I look forward to those moments, but I cherish these conversations, because so much is revealed and so much is said. There are people that will spill out regrets sometimes, missed, missed opportunities, things that they, they said they wish they, they would have done, And so the question then is, what leads to this road where they have no regrets? What road do we need to get on so we can get rid of all of our regrets? And read the first part of that sentence in that passage again. It says, Paul says this. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leads to no regret. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leads to no regret. So, So godly sorrow, what this really is, is this is the pain, this this is the hurt that we have over the failure, over the mistakes, over maybe some missed opportunities that we've done, but this pain is not the bad thing, right? This pain comes over in our regrets, and he says it's this pain that pushes us where? This pushes us to repentance. And when we have that repentance then, that pushes us to forgiveness. And if God's forgiveness, that's what we receive, that's what he pours out freely, then that's what frees us of our regrets. So Paul's saying that with them. He said, you know what? It's not, you don't have to be upset with this regret because it led you to repentance, and that led you to forgiveness. That leads you to Jesus. So we can let it pull us multiple different ways, right? We want it to push us to repentance, and we want to receive God's forgiveness. And it's God's forgiveness then that wipes the slate clean. It says you don't have any regrets because you are cleaned, you are healed. God is making you better for it. So you don't have to live in a regretful form with it. And if you're feeling pale, failure, uh, pain today, if you're feeling pain from some form of a failure, you're feeling pain from some form of decision, don't let that pain drive you away from God. Let that pain drive you to him. Let that pain drive you to him where he can say, hey, we can deal with this now together. Now that you're, you, you see what's happened, I can take this from you. And we can change this and you can be better. You don't have to regret this decision. You get to be better now. God can use that pain to remove things from us. If you're feeling the pain of regret, I think that pain will push us to repentance, just like Paul says, and that's the secret to getting rid of the regret. But I think there's a real misconception when it comes to repentance, though. How many, how many people, when you hear the word repent, get the same image I do sometimes? You get the guy on the corner, sandwich board or a sign, and he's telling you, go to Jesus or just horrible things will happen to you, right? The, the guy's saying, go to Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. I think we've all seen those people, and and I know that when when I see those people, man, it it drives me crazy. It it, it drives me crazy, and when I was in college, there was actually people that would come on campus um, a couple times a year, and they would hold those signs, you know, go to Jesus or burn in hell. You're in college. College is the way of the world. God hates the world, so God hates you. Repent. Like, wow. I was just on my way to class, And, and I actually stopped to have a conversation with one of them. It was a bad choice. I shouldn't have done it. Because they they started insulting me and and going off. And I I learned really fast I was not going to win this conversation. And they said, if you're going to class, that means you're walking right to hell. And in my mind, I was like, I'm going to chemistry, so this makes sense. (laughs) You're not wrong. But the message was wrong, right? The the, the message, I mean, there's truth in the fact that, you know, it's like, you know, go to Jesus or go to hell. It's like, all right, I I understand that Jesus is the way to heaven, but, but this communication is not working. This this is this is not gonna this is not gonna make people fall in love with God, telling people that God hates them and God hates the world. And I'm just sitting th- there thinking, what is happening? That sign is not repentance. That sign is not repentance. Repentance is different than maybe a picture that's been painted for so many of us. Repentance, in its simplest definition, is a complete change of direction. A complete change of direction. That's why what he was saying was bothered me so much. I feel like I feel like the message was totally wrong. If repentance is a literal change of direction, put it this way. Let's say you're, you're you're gonna drive to Oregon, and you're on the freeway, and I don't know the freeway numbers by heart yet, but you're driving down to Oregon, and let's say you're in the car for an hour and a half or so, and you see a big sign that says Canada, 20 miles away. You know what you've just been doing? You've been going the wrong way. Total opposite, so what would you have to do? You'd have to get off the freeway, flip around, and start going south. That's repentance. You make a complete change, a 180. You are turned around going the other direction. And that's the secret here. When we make a complete turn and give God the wheel so he can drive life instead of us driving life, that is repentance. Our regrets can redirect us. Our regrets can lead us to that repentance, to saying, I need to make a change. I need to turn something all the way around. If you're feeling pain today, know that it can be God redirecting you. It can be God saying, hey, let's make a shift. Let's make a turn. Let's make a change. That way you don't have to regret this. It's going to lead to forgiveness. It's going to lead to a brand new path, one that he is in control of. Paul said that it's our pain that pushes us. It'll push us to God or it'll push us away from God. But the thing is we get to choose what it's going to do. When, when, when something happens to us, who's in control of our reactions? Oh, you guys, this is not a trick question. Who's in control of our reactions? We are in control. Now, now you, you, can, you can react to something or you can respond to something, right? So when, when something happens, you get to decide, am I going to go this way with it or am I going to go that way with it? One of those ways is going to point you away from God. You're going to do something that you really shouldn't be doing. And one of those ways is going to be pointing you to God and say, hey, I messed up here. I'm going to go to God now. We're going to fix this. But we get to choose what way we want to go. And that's what this... Uh, this one-month challenge is really all about letting our regrets redirect our life so then we live regret-free instead of letting them rule our life. And there are four principles that we'll go over in the next, uh, the next number of weeks here in this challenge. And, and to come to think of it, these principles that, that when we talk about them, we're really going to understand Jesus knew when he had 30 days left. Jesus knew when he had 30 days left. When, when that moment came from, from day one to 30 days being on the cross, he was not surprised. He knew what was happening. And we see a lot of things in the way that he lived that we can apply today. We don't have to wait till we have one month left. We can start doing these things now. And the first one is this. If we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he lived passionately. He lived very passionately. And, and just to say it a different way, stop playing it safe. Stop playing it safe. How many of you guys like to make safe decisions? I do. I, I like the safe thing. You know, if you see something dangerous or something safe, you take the safe thing. As a parent, when I see my kids doing something dangerous, what do I want to do? Tell them not to do that. I want them to play it safe. Now, um, when I see my nephews, my, my, you know, when I see them doing something dangerous, I say, those are boys, they'll learn. But my daughters, you know, I want, it, I want them to be safe. But to stop playing it safe sometimes, you've got to make that U-turn, because naturally in life, we start just driving down Security Street. Drive down the road where we say, this is the safest choice, this is the the easiest thing, this is one, there's no risks here, I'm going to go that way, but I don't think that's really living passionately. And having faith for God, being all in for God is going to be taking some risks. It's going to be putting yourself out there. It's going to be saying, this is going to be dangerous, this is going to challenge me, this is going to put me in an awkward spot maybe, but I'm going to do it. I'm gonna do it because Jesus loves passionately. Jesus lived passionately and he wants me to live passionately as well. It's so easy to choose comfort over passion, to, to choose safety over danger, but we were not made to live a comfortable life. We were made to live a passionate life. We were made to be passionate. And I think that when we take risks in faith, we can be filled with the passion that God's placed in our heart and not drift towards that comfort. And, and think about it, how, how naturally it is to, to drift towards comfort. You know what the number one selling recliner in America is called the Lazy Boy. It is not called it's not called the hardworking boy. It's not called the dangerous Boy. It's not called the Adventure Boy. The lazy boy. We want comfort. We want to be able to go home, turn on the TV, kick back, comfortable, watch the game. It's too soon. It's too soon. <laughs> We want to watch something that brings us joy. <laughs> but we, we want this comfort, but, but the thing is, our goal in life along this road becomes comfortable, safe and secure, but that security can become an illusion. The reality is, it's, it's like stopping your car in the middle of the freeway going 70 miles an hour. Is it safer to be anywhere going 70, or is it safer to be somewhere standing still? You would think, well, standing still is fat, you know, safer than traveling, but what if you're standing still in the middle of cars driving around you going 75, 80 miles an hour, That's not a safe place to be. And yeah, I said seventy-five, eighty, because in California that was standard. That's just what we drove. Learning to drive 60 miles an hour here is still something I'm not used to. But I remember once I was with my dad. We're driving down the road, and there was this guy. And you know how sometimes a freeway will just split into two different freeways? We're on the freeway, and there is a car in the middle of the road stopped as we're approaching this, this split. And there's a guy standing outside on the phone looking at the two signs. He thought he was safe. He thought, I'm not in the freeway. I'm kind of in the divide. But he was at a dead stop of cars flying past him. That is not the safest place to be. But he had this illusion, this, 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 false, this false feeling of right here, I'm not moving. I am safe. But it was very, very dangerous. He didn't know what way to go, and he had totally stopped. He thought he was, he was safe. He was in his little comfort zone. I don't know how he found it there, but he did. But the comfort zone in reality, especially in that situation, that's a death zone. In our lives, a comfort zone can be a spiritual death zone. It can be a place where we're not challenged, we're not moving, we're not active, we're not being passionate, and we just go there and we don't do anything and our, our life starts to die. And we start doing things and then we let the regrets take over and we start wishing we had changed things. Look at this next passage that Jesus uses to describe his generation in Luke seven thirty one. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare to the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang the dirge, and you did not cry. Jesus is saying, you've been praying your whole life for this Messiah, and what are you doing now that I'm here? You're doing nothing. I'm I'm playing music for you. I'm playing, what are you going to do? I'm playing, and you're not dancing. I'm singing you a sad song and you're not letting the emotions get to you. You're you're just sitting by doing nothing. Jesus is saying sometimes people can get numb. You go through the motions of life, but you never let the emotions of life, you never let what's happening around you fuel your passion for God. And you have no passion now. You have no compassion for others. You're not laughing. You're not crying. You're not dancing. You're not living. You're just sitting comfortable doing nothing. We were made to live passionately. And next week, we're really gonna dive in and unpack that principle in its fullest, living passionately. But this fresh insight is is important, I think. We can't live this principle unless we stop playing it safe, unless we go against human nature with God's power. We we let our regrets lead us to repent. We let that lead us to Jesus. We let it change directions because naturally, we'll gravitate towards that cul-de-sac of comfort and never wanna leave it. Second principle we'll go over is loving completely. If you had 30 days left, if you were told you had one month left to live, I bet the way you said you expressed your love for people would absolutely change. I think the, the way you wouldn't want people, you would want people to know how you really felt about them. You wouldn't want to, to leave people like, I, I want to say this thing. I need you to know what I'm going to say. You need to know where my heart is. It would change for all of us. In order to do this, though, we have to make sure that we're, we're not making half-hearted commitments in our life. That's a good way to have a life full of regret. Most people that that I've talked with, you know, at the the end of their life, when when they're at those final moments, the things they say they've messed up on, you know what they aren't? Most of the regrets are about things they didn't do, but it's not the big things. It's not the big things like, man, I wish I would've done the skydiving, I wish I would've done the bungee jumping, I wish I would've just gone crazy bonkers. It's the little things. I wish I would've told this person how I felt. I wish I would have told this person how I cared. I let this relationship go by for too long without sending this person a note. I should have called that person more. That's what people say. It's never the big thrill-seeking things. It's the intimate, small relationship details that they say, I wish I would have done this more. The little things that they didn't do that accumulated over time that ends up hurting relationships. Now, this one-month-to-live challenge, we're gonna focus a lot on loving completely, but that requires something big for all of us. It requires us to stop giving half of our hearts. Stop giving half your heart. If you're gonna do something, be all in. What does it mean to completely love like Jesus did? How do we do that? Put your whole heart in it. Jesus didn't give us half of his heart. He gave us his whole thing. Don't make a half-hearted commitment to things that, that don't matter and, and don't make a few of our all-heart commitments to the things that, that do matter. Jesus put it this way. He said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with half your heart and one-third of your soul and three-fourths of your mind. Right? That's not how it is. We know that's not it. Donald, can you, can you put the right one up there? Yeah, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart all your soul, all your mind. God is a God of all. He says, I'm giving you my all. Give me your all. But rarely, very rarely in life, do we say, I'm going to give it my all. We rarely give our whole heart to loving. We, sometimes we, we skim through relationships. We say, I've, I've got to check this box, check this box. And we're not really all in. We're just giving a little piece of ourselves. We've got to check off our to-do list. We've got goals. We've got projects. We've got things we've got to get done. And then we don't do what God really has placed us in here to do which is to love, love people with your whole heart. It really comes down to something simply. It's so profound that you were made to love and be loved. We were made to love and be loved. And that's what this is all about, a relationship with each other, a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. In Christian life, i have used driving a lot as an analogy because I think this is just, it fits with this, but the Christian life is not just a solo road trip by yourself down the road. This is a carpool. We're in this together. We are all in this together, helping each other along the road. And man, if you're driving alone and you get tired and fall asleep at the wheel, you drift, you crash. But if you're carpooling, you have people with you, you can hold each other accountable. You get to love each other and share life with each other. And if you've ever done a road trip in a car, you get to know people really, really well. I used to, um, when we did the Mexico missions trip when I was in California, we would drive down to Mexico and it was a, a 12-hour drive with, with stops and people needing to use the restroom. As much as I said I wasn't gonna pull over, I had to pull over. But you learn, you learn who people are. You, you, you get to know people really, really well when you're in that car for a long time. Now imagine your, your life being this carpool where you're doing life with a group of people, not just a quick drive. You get to learn who people are. They get to know who you are and you get to put your whole heart into it. And That's what Jesus is saying here. Love completely. Do life with people. Don't do it by yourself. God wants you to be in a a group of people, five, six, seven. If you're with me, 985. Keep bringing people into your circle. Love people. Bring them on the right direction. Help each other go in the right direction. The third thing we'll learn is that we need to learn humbly. And simply put, learning humbly is stop running from your pain. When when we look at the third principle, learn humbly. To do that, we've got to make this U-turn, right? Stop running because naturally, we want to avoid pain. Not that many people run looking for pain. Football players, rugby players, hockey players, cage fighters, I don't understand the love of pain. I played football um, throughout middle school and high school. Um, Yes, there was pain, but I didn't look forward to the pain. You know, the whole point of when you're in that is you're going to hit the player so he hurts, not so you hurt. We naturally avoid pain. We do just about anything to avoid pain, and not just when athletics and stuff, but but spiritual and emotional pain. We find so many substitutes in life to numb our pain, to say, we're not going to deal with it. We're just going to suppress it. We're going to push it aside, but numbing it isn't dealing with it, but we do that all too much. Jesus is a great example. In Philippians 2, 5, he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found obedient. Well, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Christ didn't run from the cross. He didn't run from what he knew was going to be painful. He went for it. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, God, if there's any way that Dustin can be saved without me going through the pain and humiliation of the cross, that would be wonderful. God, if there's, if there's any way for, for, for Stephanie to be in heaven with me without having to go through this, let's do it. But then the key line there says, but not my will, yours be done. Jesus didn't run from the pain. He knew the pain was coming, but he knew that pain was going to lead to something so wonderful. If Jesus would have ran from his pain, he would have missed his purpose. He would have missed what God called him to do. And I think for us sometimes, if we say, I'm gonna gonna love completely and this could lead to some pain, if we run from that, we could miss something big that God's gonna do in our lives. We could miss something huge that God's gonna work on because we say, it's gonna hurt and I just don't wanna face it. I'm just just gonna keep it bottled up. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. He's saying that, that when we embrace the pain, we, we don't run from the pain. These problems can drive us to depend on God instead of turning away from God. And therefore, it removes regrets. I mean, let's be honest. If, if we didn't have any problems, if everyone was absolutely perfect, smooth sailing, everything's great, we probably wouldn't be here today. We probably wouldn't look, look at, at God's love and say, I need that, because we would say, everything is just totally fine without it, right? If we've never had any pain, never any problems, stresses, or pressures, this building would probably be empty right now, and every Sunday afterwards. But it's our pain that pushes us into God's arms. When we realize, God, I can't handle this. God, this, pain, this, this hurts. I need you. It's our pain that will push us to God, and then we discover his power. We see his fulfillment, his plan, and we see the reason why we were made to be in a relationship with him. And so in using that, God can use our pain to push us to him. But when we run from pain, when we do the opposite, we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away from pain, that's when we end up with the regrets, because we'll try to numb it. We'll try to find something else to deal with it. And I think some of us are even trying to, to run from pain right now, or ignoring it. Act like it's not there. Say, I'm, I'm just going to suppress this, ignore it, I'll get over it, I'll be fine, instead of actually dealing with it. We try to act like there's not a lot of mistakes we've made. There's not a lot of failures that we've gone through. There's not a lot of of pain or hurt. And we're just making it through life. We're just going to go through the motions. Or there's grief that we haven't dealt with. And take it from someone who suppressed grief for a long time. You've got to deal with it. You've got to process through. You've got to turn it over to God and let God work it through in your life. Or you will end up regretting it. Some of us use things to cover it up. Some people use alcohol to numb the pain. Some people use work. They, they say, I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm just gonna go to work every day, overtime, all day, stay at the office because you just don't wanna deal with things and you start suppressing it, pushing it aside. You're a workaholic, but that's not dealing with pain. Or maybe you've got, a thousands, you've got thousands of acquaintances and you're the life of the party, but you don't have a real connection with someone. You don't have a real friend that you can go with and say, this is who I'm gonna share life with because you're still running from pain. And sometimes God says, stop. Just, just take a minute. Just stop, come to me, turn to me. Let me hold you. Let me give you some of myself. Let me give you some of my power to get through this. Let's get through this together. But we have to stop and let God do it. The pastor tells a story about um, when he did this book 10 years ago, when he wrote the book and did this, he said how he was doing really, really good and he was great. Then suddenly problems would come into his life, and he actually would start justifying it, saying, it's just a busy season, just a busy busy time. I can put all this stuff on hold because it's just the season I'm in right now. Everything will be fine. So I don't need to be as intentional as I should be because this season will pass. But if we live life like we only have one month left, guess what we don't have the luxury of saying anymore? I can do that later. I can do it later. I'll get to it. It puts everything in perspective of how this is important. This is big. This is a big deal. I need to do this now. I need to live fully right now. <clears throat> and he realized for him, he said, it was the pain that's the secret to living this lifestyle because it's the pain and the problem that pushed him to God's power. He challenges us in this. He says, you can't live the way Jesus lived, live passionately, love completely, Learn humbly, and we'll talk about leaving boldly in a second, but you can't do that on your own. You've got to do it with God. It comes down to God's power and God's power that helps get you through these things. <clears throat> a lot of people when they're at the, the end of their life are totally dependent on others. Totally depend on others to take care of them. And and you know what? If you get to that place where someone is taking care of your every single need, and I mean every single need, you know what that becomes? a very humbling season of life. A very humbling season of life where you've got to be able to say, I can't do this on my own. This People literally have to take care of everything. And when I say everything, think of all the, the details that go with it. It's a humbling place to be. You're relying on them for your physical comfort. You rely on them for, for all these things um, that, that you can't do on your own. And I think that when we come, we need in our season of life now, we need to learn that we can become totally dependent on God and work with others to meet these needs. We've got to learn humbly to depend on God, humbly to, to let other people into our circle. We've got to have relational, spiritual, and emotional needs that are met first by God and second by our community around us. <clears throat> Physically, it's a hard place to be when you depend on God for every single breath, every single heartbeat, totally dependent because on one day there's going to be a point where we, our bodies can't do it anymore and we realize we are giving it to God and he's going to take it and we get to be with him. Sometimes when we drive down this this, this road of life, when we get to these points where we say, I don't, I don't want to do this humbly, I, I, I'm in control, I've got this, we're driving and we hit that ditch, we hit that rocky road but then we have two choices. We can take... Carrie Underwood's advice, car spinning out, Jesus take the wheel, or we can say, no, I've got this, and you grab on that wheel and you try to control it yourself. More often than not, when you hit that ditch or you've you've crashed into something, holding on to the wheel tighter, in a spiritual sense, does not get you out of this ditch. It doesn't help you out. Sometimes we've got to get to the point where we say, say, God, I need you to take the wheel, and we've got to let God take it. We've got to let him say, you know what? Move out of the driver's seat. Let me help get you out of this ditch. Maybe some of us haven't even hit the ditch, or the the manhole or pothole. Maybe some of us are in the ditch right now. We say, I cannot, my wheels are spinning and I'm giving it gas, but nothing's happening and you're not letting God literally pull you out of this ditch. Pull you out and get you back on the road. We're still fighting for control, trying to do it with our own strength, trying to fix it all by ourselves, trying to make this relationship what it ought to be by ourselves, trying to get rid of bad habits and and hangups that we've got on ourselves. We can't do it all ourselves. sometimes We just can't do it until we give it to God. Let God take control. Surrender your hands up to him. Let his power fuel you. Let his power help you. Let his power forgive you and redeem you. And then fuel your purpose for your life. And lastly, we'll learn that we need to leave boldly. We need to leave boldly. What that means is stop waiting to live. Don't, don't do this tomorrow. Don't say, I'll get to this someday. Stop waiting to live. Jesus left a bold legacy. And to do that, we've got to stop waiting to live. If we want to mimic the life Jesus had and do these things, stop waiting. Psalms 90.12 says this, teach us to number our days and recognize how few there are. Help us to spend them as we should. This is this is really a key verse right here, right? When we realize, if we realize our days are counting down and we want to make our days count, then, then this one month to live challenge, this is, this is not about dying. It's not about saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to die in 30 days. This is saying, I am living for these 30 days. I am going all in and it's going to be a life like I've never lived before. Because Lord willing, we're going to live many more years, we're going to live a long time. We've got a lot of days ahead of us. But what I want us to do is if we focus on these challenges, these, these principles for the next 30 days, I think that we'll all experience life like we've never known it before, love like we've never, never known it before, and a purpose maybe like we've never experienced it before. And the great thing is it doesn't have to stop after 30 days. If we do it now, we get to do these for the rest of our life and revolutionize our walk with Jesus and our love for each other. And how does that happen, though? Start today. Start today absolutely start today. Today, make that phone call that maybe you haven't called someone in a long time. You say, you know what, this person's been on my mind and I keep putting it off. Call them today. Write someone a note today, um, a a handwritten note. If you don't know what that is, get a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen and write it down. There's things called stamps. We can put in an envelope, right? And give it to the post office and hopefully get to its destination. But do something. Make a a decision today to do something to start this challenge off. Maybe you haven't seen someone in 20-something years, but you're going to see them or communicate with them today. Don't let another day go by. Do it. People at the end of their life sometimes will say, oh, man, I wish I'd said this. I wish I'd said that. Decide today, I'm going to say it. I'm going to communicate it. Some, sometimes maybe some of us right now need to do an act of kindness or an act of love for someone in our life. Don't wait till tomorrow to do it. Do it now. Go do it today. There's no football on today, so just go do it. God wants us to take advantage of today, of the now. Teach us to number our days. Second Timothy one twelve says this, I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. Think of how profound it is that Paul is saying this. Paul says, I have no regrets. This is the same guy that was murdering Christians. The same guy that was persecuting the church, he is now saying, I have no regrets. How is he able to say that? How is he able to say it? Because he let the pain of his regrets push him to repentance, which pushed him to forgiveness. It pushed him to Jesus. God washed away all of his sins. God washed away his regrets, and God was using him for something incredible. When we come to the end of our life, it's a lot about forgiveness. But let's not wait till the end of our life to forgive people. Let's, let's be bold right now. Let's forgive. Let's love. Let's do that step right away. I'd like to invite the worship team up as we come to a close this morning. Well, there are people that, that ask, how do I make peace with God when you think you're getting ready to meet him? How can I do that? How can I make peace? Well, it's a really good question, right? What it turns into is the the war of the the steering wheel. If you want to make peace with God, let go of the wheel. Let go of the wheel and let Him have control. Tell Him that He's the boss. Let Him be the boss instead of us trying to be the boss. Don't be at war. It's like God saying, until you surrender and wave the white flag and take your hands off that wheel and move out of the driver's seat, you're going to be at war with me. Do those things. Let me take over. Give it to Him. And with repentance, we can turn away from the wheel. We can change direction. Give it to him. He has the power to shift everything in our lives. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna close with this verse today. Ephesians 1.7 says, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all of our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. That's huge, abundantly free, abundantly free from regrets, abundantly free from decisions that you think are going to linger with you for the rest of your life. When we give them to God, we are free. Don't let regret, don't let decisions you've made push you away from God. Let them push you to God. Let him deal with it. Let him wipe the slate clean so you can say like Paul did, and he did a lot worse things than I think any of us have did, have done. He said, I have no regrets. I've given it all to Jesus. Amen. God, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that you're the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, God, the, all these chances. You love us through it all. And I pray, God, that we, we learn to do these things today, God. We, we live passionately, God. We leave boldly. We learn humbly. God, we give it all to you. We don't have regrets because we know that when we do things, we can give them to you. You can shift it to be the most amazing transformation in our lives. So, God, I pray here that we don't stop. We start now. We learn to love you with all we've got because you love us with all you've got. We thank you, we love you. And everybody said, Amen. amen.